As you're seated, let me ask you to go way back in the back of your Bible to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, and we'll be there in just a few minutes. <clears throat> Today I want to begin a, a series that, that I think will really fit in with where we are right now as a church family. You know, we've got a lot of brand new believers in our church family, a lot of people that are just starting their Christian pilgrimage, really growing in the Lord. And at a time like this, I think it's really important for us to be reminded of those things that we know, that we know, that we know that we might be uh, assured, you know, even the, the, the one most wonderful saint sometimes will under, come under the attack of a demon of doubt. And there'll be some things that will come up in their minds and in their hearts, and they'll wonder, well, is this really true? Is that really true? And what's important for the church is that we regularly and, and systematically underscore the things that are rock solid, that are important, that, that hold us up. And, and God doesn't want us to go out of here as doubting believers. He wants to go out of, as shouting believers, that we really have, are convinced of who we are in Christ and all that that means. So this morning, I want to begin this with a process, what I think is one of the most important things for you and I to grasp and to hold on to. Here it is in just a few words. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and that can never change. That God loves you, and that will never, ever change. Now, I want you to think with me. I want to give you two uh, pillars to hold on to. One, you can put one arm over this way. One, you can put the other arm over this way. And hold on to, and they'll literally hold you up in times of great difficulty and times of doubt. Here's the first one. <clears throat> you can never do anything to cause God to love you more than he does right this moment. You can never do anything to cause God to love you more than he does at this very moment. Why? Because his love for you has nothing to do with what you've done. His love for you has nothing to do with how good you are or, or what you give or, or anything. It doesn't have anything to do with that. God's love for us flows out of his very person, and he is a God of love, and he is also a God of grace. We're going to talk about more about grace in a little bit. But you see, because you did nothing to earn God's love, then you can't do anything to make him love you anymore. So you can put your arm around that and hold on to that. There's, I don't have to do these 10 things or accomplish these things or give this much or go here or make this pilgrimage, whatever, and get God to love me more. There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more than he does right now. Now, that's a good one. But let me tell you the twin sister right over here on the other side. There is nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less than what he does right now. You see, and it hangs on the same thing. It hangs on the reality that God's love for us has nothing to do with what we do and how we, how we respond. His love is constant. You know his God's love is constant for you even if you never respond to him? God's love for you is constant and unchanging and undefeatable even if you never surrender your life to him. So here's something I want you to grasp right off the, the bat. And we need to remind ourselves of this, and a lot flows out of it we're going to get to in a few minutes. But God's love for us never, ever changes. There's nothing we have ever done to earn it. So there's nothing we can ever do to lose it. 
Don't you think the God that knows everything from the beginning to the end knew before he ever saved you what kind of a screwball you are? Yeah, absolutely he did. And knowing that with all you, with all of your foibles, with your strengths, but also all of your weaknesses, that you were going to need a constant love. You were going to need a constant, unbending, unyielding, uncompromising love in order to get you through. And I don't know about you, but I'm mighty glad that that's the kind of love that he gives us. So the first thing, I want you to know that God loves you, and that'll never change. Let me put it in a slightly different way, and I'll tell you why first. It's out of God's love that he saves us. It's out of his love that, that he went to the cross. It's out of his love that he rose again from the grave. So it's out of his love that he did everything to save us. All of the grace and all of the mercy that he bestows upon us flows out of his heart of love. So here's another way to say the same thing. I want you to know that if you are saved, there is nothing that can ever change that. If you've come to Christ to give him your life, if you've responded to his love for you, there is nothing in heaven above or hell below that can ever change that fact, and you're to hold on to it. And, and this is something that plagues us from time to time. Even the most uh, serious saint sometimes will go through periods of doubts, uh, sometimes, sometimes of worries or what. What helps in a situation like that? To anchor yourself in the eternal Word of God where there's truth, and we can milk that truth. So everything's going to be based on what the Scripture has to say today. God wants you to leave here today not a doubting believer, but a shouting believer. He wants you to do absolutely certain. Uh, years ago, Adrian Rogers used this text that I'm about to read to you at a funeral of a lady. And, uh, and he read it several times over. First, first John chapter 5, find verse 13. First John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's look what it says. John is saying, these things I have written to you, so all of these things, these, these, these five little chapters in this tiny little book, he said, all of these things I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, now underline that or circle it or highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. As he was preaching from this text, Dr. Rogers uh, alluded to the fact that his sister in Christ was with the Lord and was absolutely certain of that. Now, after the funeral was over, one of, his, one of her two sons came to him and said, it troubled me what you said about mom. And he said, what? He said, it troubled me. She said, absolutely, certainly that she was in heaven. No man can ever know that. No man can know whether or not they're going to be in heaven. And so Dr. Rogers took his Bible out. And he says, well, let's read this along with me. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Did your mother profess faith in the Son of God? She said, oh, yeah, yeah. She believed in Jesus, okay. That you may know that you have eternal life. Do you see that little word, know, right there? And he said, well, yeah. He said, well, the Word of God says these words are written, not that you can hope, but that you can know that you have eternal life. Life. I don't want you to leave here today saying, I hope so. I don't want you to leave here today with any doubts in your mind. 
As we go through this, the Word of God, if you'll allow it to, is going to convict your heart of one of two things. Either you're a believer and you need to stand on the truth of that, or you're not and you need to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you know what we need in our hearts, and because you know that, we're going to trust you as we go to your Word, and we allow you to apply that Word into our heart, even now. We ask you to do that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thirty-eight times in these five chapters, John says, I'm writing these things to you so you may know, so you may have confidence, so you may have assurance. And I think it's important for us, for every believer, to have an anchor, to have confidence, to have an assurance of many things, especially of their salvation. So I want to start today about assurance here. That assurance begins with the new birth. That's in your notes. Assurance begins with the new birth. And for this, I'm going to go to John's bigger book, the Gospel of John. And you probably remember this scene very, very well. It's recorded in the third chapter. A very wise and intelligent man came to Jesus by night, and he had tons of questions he wanted to ask of Jesus, all kinds of questions. But before he could even get started, this religious scholar, okay, he looked him in the eyeballs and he said, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. And it just flabbergasted old Nick. And he said, what do you mean, Rabbi? I'm an old man and i somehow supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? And Jesus said, look, that's what is born of flesh is flesh. But I'm talking about that which is born of the Spirit. And that's the Spirit. The Spirit is that part of us that communes with God, but it's that part of us that dies when we pursue sin. When the Scripture says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, it's the Spirit that dies. And this is the part that's born again. This is the part that, that enables everything else to be saved. This is the Spirit of man. And so this begins with the new birth. The new birth. Can I tell you something I know about each and every one of you? I mean, I've studied this now. It's taken me several months. But let me tell you something I can say about each and every person in this room. Every one of you, without exception, every one of you have been born. Isn't that wise? Isn't that smart? Isn't that sharp? It's not because I've seen your birth certificate. It's because you have a pulse, and you're breathing, and you're conscious and aware. Well, maybe conscious, I don't know. I know you're live, not because I've seen your birth certificate, because I see evidence of life in you. Now listen very carefully. You were born at a point in time, a very important point in time, Nine months before your birth or thereabouts, God in His great grace and the work of your mom and dad compiled and wrote your DNA. And from the very moment of conception, all you needed was time and nurture, and you were to grow into the person that you are today. Nine months later, they celebrated the completion of that process of you becoming, and you were born. But that was not the end of the story. 
We celebrate your birthday because that was the beginning of your story. Actually, it began nine months earlier, but, but that was the beginning of you being here. And so we celebrate that. But you have a birthday. That's when it started. That's when it began. That's important for you spiritually as well. You need to know of a spiritual birthday. You need to know a time in your life that you surrendered, all of you that you know, to whatever God of you know, that you know, and that Jesus Christ kept his word to you. And he came into your heart, and he cleansed you of all of your sins, and you were born again into the family of God. See, assurance begins at knowing that we've started off, knowing that we've had a spiritual birthday. If you, if you don't, can't look at a time in your life, and you may not remember the actual day or the hour, uh, I don't, nobody told me I had to remember that. I remember the event, but I don't remember the actual date on the calendar. But you, I know the time. If you know that time that your life began in Christ. Now, maybe a lot about it you don't remember. It's got kind of fuzzy. Well, let me ask you. How many of you remember the details of your physical birth? That's beyond the smartest one here, <laughs> okay? Because you've grown a lot since then. Well, you may not remember all of the details about your spiritual birth then, but you know if it's happened, you know that it's happened. And the evidence is you're spiritually alive. So assurance begins with the assurance of the new birth. And, and not only were you born physically, but after you were born physically, it was expected of you to grow. It was expected of you to grow. Now, if, if you didn't start putting on weight, if you didn't start meeting some of the milestones, mom and daddy would pick you up and make a beeline down to the pediatrician, and they'd run tests and find out why. Why? Because it's, it's important, it's, it's imperative that a child grows. If not, if they have failure to thrive, there's all kinds of things that the doctor wants to do about this because it's important for a child to grow. Children are supposed to grow. Spiritual children are too. When you're born of the Spirit, it's expected that you are to grow spiritually, to mature in your faith. And if, so, if you're not doing that, then something's wrong. You need to be gathered up and you need to be taken to the hospital. That's called the church. You need to be taken to one of the physicians. That's the ministers. So they can find out what's wrong. Why are you not growing in the faith? Because you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow spiritually. And if you don't, something must be wrong. But the whole thing starts with the birth. So assurance of salvation begins with the new birth. The second assurance, it continues with insight into how you were saved. Insight into how you were saved. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And many of you have put this to, uh, to memory, but I want you to just kind of walk through it with me a minute and just see what Holy Spirit's telling us here. Here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So right off the bat, Paul says there's two things that don't save you. There are two things that can't save you. There are two things that's impossible to save you. You cannot be saved of yourself. You can't do this on your own, all right? 
There was a saying years ago, came out of the, uh, the Second World War, I think it was, that, that a man would lift himself up by his bootstraps. You ever heard that phrase? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen anybody do it? No. I mean, it's not possible. It's physically not possible to lift yourself up by your own. You can't do that, all right? And Paul is saying the same thing. When it comes spiritually, it is impossible to you to save yourself by lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps to heaven. Ain't working. Can't work. It's not of yourselves, and it's not of any work. It's not of anything that you could do. It's not of any noble cause that you can do, or great benefactor that you can be. It's not any of that. None of that can save you. But what does? Look, it says, but by grace you are saved. Grace. Now, what is that? Grace is part of the very character of God. It's part of the very heart of God. Out of His love... God chooses, it's a choice, God chooses to bestow gifts on His creation. He chooses to bestow gifts that are not deserved. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, what you've not earned, what there's no way that you could pay for whatsoever. Grace is God out of his love, giving you what you don't deserve. That's salvation too, my folks. I want you to hear that. That that what your, your salvation is this. God gave you something you could not earn. God gave you something you did not deserve. What did he give you? The blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of himself, his very own son. The resurrection to where he then could impart to you eternal life. This is something that is of grace. That's written out at acrostic, I think, in your notes. That means from top to bottom, right to left to right. Let me tell you, this is not original to me, what, what the grace stands for, okay? Grace stands for this, God's riches at Christ's expense, okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. What does it mean? All of the things God bestows upon you, His grace, His mercy, His salvation, His love, His favor, all of those things are not something that we deserve. It's not something that we could deserve. Listen, if you pay for a gift, it's not a gift. Okay, can I say that again? Let that register a moment. If you paid for a gift, it's not a gift. Now, Listen to me very carefully. Let's go to pretend land, okay? Because I don't know if this has ever happened in real life. Maybe it has, but I've never known of it. Let's go to pretend land for a moment. You have a good friend, a very, very, very good friend. And that friend loves you so very much and wants to do something very special for you. That friend of yours happens to be very wealthy. So that friend of yours goes and buys you an $80,000 vehicle, drives it up to your front porch, You come outside, he gets out of the car, he tosses you the keys, he says, here, I'm giving you this, it's yours. Wow. How many wants a friend like that? Okay, (laughs) that's right, I saw that hand. Yeah, we all want a friend like that. Okay, so, now, you get to thinking, man, this is something else. Gives me an $80,000 car. That's, that's just too much. That's, that's too much. So you reach into your billfold. You say, I'll tell you what, bud. Uh, that, that's mighty nice of you, but I'll tell you what. Let me help you out with the cost of that. Let me give you a dollar. 
What is that? That's an insult. That's an insult to his love and grace. I mean, you can get in the car and you can go down the street and somebody says, Hey, see, so you got your new wheels. He says, Yeah, my friend and I bought it. You know? Yeah, right. He pays $79,999 and you give a buck. Anything that you would add to feel like you deserved God saving your soul is an insult to His grace. You hear me? And it's a greater insult than a dollar, I'm here to tell you. This ceases to be a gift. And you say, oh, I'm saved because I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other. No. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says all, none of us have been good enough. Not a single one of us. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And so that being true of all of us, it takes a merciful, gracious, loving God to bestow salvation upon us because it's not deserved. It's not earned. And anything you think you can give God to think for a moment that somehow he's going to be proud of you is an insult to his grace. You follow me? It's an insult to his grace. Assurance is when we realize God did all of this. I could, there was nothing I can do. There is a step that you take, but it's a step of faith. Now, faith is another acrostic. It's there in your notes. I'll tell you what that is. It's forsaking all, I take him. All right, say it again. Forsaking all, I take him. And, and, and that means forsaking my sin. Yes, I take him as my Savior. But it also means forsaking any desire I would have to try to pay him back or earn this. You don't, you don't deserve a grace gift. You receive a grace gift. So how do you receive the grace gift of God's love? How do you receive the grace gift of salvation? If you take your hand and you write the word faith on it. And you reach out and put it in the hand marked grace. And then he holds on to it. Then he holds on to it. It's his grip that saves you folks, not yours. You reach the hand of faith. And God provides the hand of grace. And it's a done deal. So assurance starts with being born again, but then it comes by realizing, hey, I didn't deserve this to begin with, and if I didn't do anything to deserve it, I can't do anything to lose it. Many people, I'll tell you what, I was, I was saved in a religious tradition that taught that you could lose your salvation. That if you did something wrong, if you did something against the cardinal rules that that particular pastor have to say was right or wrong, that you'd lose your salvation. And then you'd have to, to come to church all over again. You have to get saved all over again. have to get baptized all over again. This is, this is where I was initially saved, where I was brought up. And, and I want to I thank God that he delivered me from that blasphemy and brought me into a group of people that was able to help me see what the Word of God says. That I don't earn salvation by my good deeds. I do the good deeds because I'm saved, not to get saved. And there's a world of difference between those two folks. 
a world of difference. So, assurance begins with a new birth, but then it continues when you understand the insight into how it is you're saved. Third, assurance is demonstrated by a series of birthmarks. Birthmarks. You know what both marks, birthmarks are? We're not really sure how they come about. Uh, there's uh, several bunch of theories, but, but birthmarks, it's, it's, it's unique to that person. And, and there's, there's no, nobody else got a birthmark exactly like that. Well, there are birthmarks to being saved that we all share. There are three birthmarks that gives us assurance right out of the Scriptures that we're indeed covered by His love and grace. So I want to look at those this morning. Three birthmarks real quickly. The first birthmark is the commandment birthmark. The commandment birthmark. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 2, all of these in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it's a birthmark because look what it says. It says, now by this, we know that we know him. Hot dog, that's what we need. That's that verse we're looking for, right? He's about to tell us, by this, we know that we know him. So, so we can't worry about missing it, okay? John was just so eat up with us needing to have confidence and assurance and boldness in our faith. So he wrote, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in them. And by this we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought to also walk even as he walks. What is he saying? Here's a birthmark of a believer. That he cherishes the word of God. He builds his life on the word of God. The word of God is his true compass, his true north, tells him the direction that he's supposed to go. You say, well, Brother Fred, um, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm saved, but I, I, I don't think I've always kept the commandments. I don't think I, I've, I've always done everything perfectly. I'm so glad I thought I was the only one. No. To keep the commandments, let's go to what that word means. The word comes really out of mariners, goes out of, comes out of sailing the great ships year, years and years ago. And the sailors would keep the stars. They would keep the stars. They would get their sextant, other instruments, they could measure the stars. They would know where they are. They would know the direction they were to go. And they would set their course based on keeping the stars, reading the stars. But you know what? Sometimes they'd wander off course. Or they'd be in a huge gale and be pushed off course. So what would they do? They would get out the sextant, and they would read the stars again, and they would reset their course, and they would still get to where they were going even though it got pushed off course. That's what it means to keep the commandments. This is our true north, and we commit ourselves to them with everything we can, but sometimes something's going to happen and we wander, and other times we're going to get knocked off course. But when we do, we pick up the word of God, and we find true north, and we make our confession, and we make our repentance, and we get back on track. And that's the birthmark of a believer. A believer can't be happy living in disobedience. It's just absolutely crushing to his spirit. And so he's always 
keeping the word. He, he, he's reading the word. How do I get back on track? I got knocked off course or I wandered off course. How do I get back on track? And sometimes you know what it really takes? <laughs> A place called the church. Small group leaders and deacons and ministers who, who don't mind us sitting with you and trying to find out how you got off course and how to get back on course and how to move in the right direction in the power of God. But the first bookmark is this is your heart. This is your passion. It might not be your every second of the day habit, but this is what guides you. This is what gives you direction in life. The first birthmark is the commandment birthmark. The second birthmark is the companion birthmark. Companion. And that's 1 John 3, 14 through 15. And here it is again. It says, we know, here it is, we know we've passed from death unto life. In other words, we, we, we've, we've been saved. We've moved out of the realm of darkness and we're into the realm of light. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Because we love other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, John didn't make this up. He actually got it from Jesus. And he recorded it in his gospel, Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 34 and 35. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus is speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are mine, because you love one another. Now, who's the one another's that he's talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is the birthmark of the believer. You love other brothers and sisters in Christ. Our souls are knit together when we're with one another. We worship one another. We serve one another. We minister with one another. There's something special about the one another's that we get to do together because we're bond together in Him. We love one another. Now, can I pause a minute and say... I've been around a long time. <laughs> the gray hair is there for a reason. There are times in church life that we let things fall through the crack. There are times in church life when people are hurt. There are times in church life when folks go not minister to when they should be. And it's a reality no matter how hard you try because we're imperfect people. We're living in an imperfect world. And that happens. But listen, if that's happened to you, do not divorce yourself from the bride of Jesus Christ. Because the church is his love. The church is his bride. Now you may have to go to another gathering of believers to where you can start all over again or, or you may be able to reconcile things within the church but what you do not want to do hear me you don't want to stand before Jesus and say I love you but I despise your bride how do you think that's going to go over folks how would it go over with you not so well right because the church is who he shed his blood for. That's where his heart and soul is. That's what he's preparing heaven for. 
And not only that, if you're a believer, you're one of them. (laughs) And you've probably let things slip through yourself from time to time and been just as guilty as others. So please hear me. I want you to fall in love with Ebenezer the same way I have. But she's not perfect. Folks fall through the, the, the cracks. We get crosswise one another sometimes. We're not a perfect church. But we keep the stars. We're a group of people who keep the commandments. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to reconcile and come back on course with one another. If pride has to die, let it die. That we can be the family of God. The birthmark of the believer keeps the commandments, loves one another. And the third one is the confidence birthmark. The confidence birthmark. And this is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He who believes in the Son has the witness in himself. The witness. Not what is the witness, but who is the witness. The witness is Holy Spirit. The witness is the Spirit of God himself. The Scripture tells us that Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what the Bible tells us. It's not about believing a bunch of things about Jesus. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. That he and he alone will save my soul for now and all eternity. That's what's important. Can I say one other thing? And and I'll have to apologize ahead of time. I'm going to bust a bubble or two in the room, I'm sure. When the Bible offers us encouragement, assurance, confidence, about our salvation, the Bible never points to the past. The Bible always points to the present. I'll ask folks from time to time, are you a Christ follower? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? And many times, many, many times, people will say, well, yes, when I was 10 10 years old at a vacation Bible school, or I was 9 years old at a revival, or whatever it was, and they look back to the point that they were spiritually born. That's good. I'm not belittling that. But has anything happened spiritually in your life since you were born? All of the verses about confidence and assurance in the Bible are based on where you are now, not where you were then. I write these things to you now that you may know that you have eternal life. Not just based on the past, but what's happening now. What's going on in your heart now. This is where the imperative is. That's what the Scripture tells us. When the Bible says, he that believes in the Son of God here, this is a a wonderful tense of the verb. We don't have it in English. It's called the continuous presence. And it means action now, but action that continues. So he who believes now and keeps on believing. Let me tell you another famous passage that you've seen this. Remember where Jesus said, you know, if if you pray, you need to ask and seek and knock. You remember that passage? Okay. Well, it's written in the continuous presence. So it says he who asks and keeps on asking. And he who seeks and keeps on seeking. And he who knocks and keeps on knocking. It'll be open unto you. 
It's the continuous present. So our assurance comes from believing now and what we're doing now. Listen, I've never known a person who put his assurance on something that happened 50 years ago to be a dynamic, powerful Christian. But every person whose spiritual life is current, what is Jesus doing for them now, today? How is he transforming my life now? How is he making it kind of tough to be me right now? That's part of it as well. Here is where the dynamic comes from. Because faith grows with us. Yes, we had a point in time that we were born again. But the whole idea was for us to grow up into our most holy faith and to come to maturity. So I want to wrap all this up. And to do it, I want to go again to something that happened down in the office here in this building many years ago. Turn to John chapter 5 for me. The Gospel of John chapter 5. A fellow I'd gotten to know and we were growing in our relationship to one another. Came by my office and we spoke at length and finally had the opportunity to lead him to faith in Christ. We knelt down before an old couch that we had in there and knelt side by side and prayed. He confessed his sins and repented and asked Christ to come into his heart. And so after we was done, I wanted to give him a spiritual birth certificate. And that's what I like to refer to John 5.24 as, uh, as, as our spiritual birth certificate. So I, I pulled my Bible over and we laid it there on the couch while we were still kneeling down. And I said, look, I want you to read this with me. Verse 24 starts off, most assuredly, or if you've got a King James, it says, verily, verily. Literally, the word means is, amen, amen. It's a way of, pay attention to this, <laughs> what I'm about to say. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. And so I read with him and said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word, have you heard his word today? Have you, have you heard the gospel and responded to it? Yes, sir, I sure have. And then believes on him who has sent me. Are you believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, sir. I said, then has everlasting life. Do you have everlasting life? He said, I hope so. I said, wait a minute, let's do this again. So I went back again. Most assuredly, I say to you, who, who hears my word, have you heard the word of God? You've repented, you've confessed of your sin, you've asked Jesus in your heart. Yes, sir, I've done that. I told you that. And believes in him who sent me. Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Has eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Well, I hope so. One more time. Maybe third time's a charm. I went through it again. And when I got to the point, has eternal life, he said, Yes. Yes. I, I'm saved. Right now, I'm saved. How do you know? He says, it's going to say so right there. I said, okay, you can go home now. We anchor in the eternal, infallible word of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing you can do except accept what he's offered to you. Don't you come here today offering Jesus a buck. Don't you insult him saying, I'll work this out by myself. 
and I can do enough to make you proud of me, God. You just heard, you just watch me. Spitting in the face of Christ. God, I do not deserve a moment of your time, let alone your eternal salvation. But you've offered it to me as a gift of grace. And you even give me the faith right now to dare to believe it's true. And so I accept it. Totally on you. And nothing of me. That's where assurance comes from. That's where confidence comes from. Because it's all about the finished work of Christ and not about us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, there's some here today that that the old demon of doubt's been working on them and, and they've had some questions and such, but now, Holy Spirit, you've taken the Word of God and you've applied it by power of, our, of your Holy Spirit to our heart. And we have an infusion of confidence. We have an infusion of assurance. And oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. But there's some here today, Lord, that they're still struggling. They may still be struggling because they don't really understand what we've talked about. Maybe I need to go over it again. (laughs) But some are struggling because they've never made the first step. They've never really come to you and say, God, I'm that screw-up we talked about today. But right now, I confess to you that I'm a lost sinner in need of a Savior. I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, I dare to believe that was so you could give me your eternal life. So right now, Lord, come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. Be my boss, my ruler, my commander of my life. I want to follow you. Lord, I know in the authority of your word that it right now that person has just been born into your family. And we want to rejoice with them. So in the next few moments, after we close out service, Father, I'm going to be right here at the front where you always keep me. Other people are going to be back in the connection room. I pray that you'll encourage each and every one of these to go and just say, hey, I prayed with the preacher or uh, pastor, I want you to know I prayed with you this morning. We want to celebrate with them, Lord, and just brag on our Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that nobody will leave here today with any doubts, but with minds cleared and spirits emboldened, we might go out these doors confidently. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.